some days, some days technology just drives me nuts. But is it ruining the weather? Welcome to What Is It About the Weather podcast, where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be talking about that. Is there too much technology in weather? But before we get there, as always, I'm going to say I hope you've had an enjoyable weather time span. Insert your time span here since we last communicated. Mine was awesome. So you're going to get to hear a little bit about it. Went on a trip. So finally, you know, we're all starting to do a little more travel. Actually, I was out somewhere today where I was watching cruise ships go under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Those that don't know, that connects... Brooklyn and Staten Island in New York, but it's kind of a, you know, a, a gateway where the Hudson River flows out into, and also where the East River combines well, kind of flows out in the open Atlantic. And this bridge, it doesn't look real high to me. I mean, I've never thought of it as being way up there. I, I guess part of it's the angle you're looking at, but I was, I watched this cruise ship go underneath it. Two of them ended up going back to back and they almost look like they're clipping the bridge. I, I'm always amazed when I see cruise ships because they always look to me like if if the wind just blew a little harder, like they'd tip over and fall in the ocean. Maybe one of the reasons I'm I'm not in any hurry to get on one. But it reminded me we're all traveling a little more now. We all want to, right? We're all itching to get back to something that resembles normal for whatever it is. But there's going to be this overabundance in the beginning, right? We're going to feel a need to make up stuff, but. What I did was not only, you know, some travel, but I did some international travel. So I went up to Quebec and drove. I, I It's close enough. It's 500 miles. But by the time you get in the car versus going to the airport and all that stuff, it ends up being about the same. But the day, so the days traveling up to Quebec, it was going to be a little warm and it was rainy. It was rainy probably about the time I got to Canada through the time I got to Quebec, which is about I don't, a couple hundred miles from where across the border and selected for a random COVID test, did that thing. I'd, I, you had to, you had, still have to take one to get in, whether you cross by land or by air. It's fine. No big deal. Got that done. Took my kit with me to do the random one, which was a whole different sort of thing. But in case, so I'm driving through and it's, it's, it's kind of a warmer day. It's not really warm, but the rain, it's, it's interesting because I'm passing areas with a lot of snow and it's wet. Get to Quebec and it's made the streets really icy. But the good news was that that was all going to change the snow. Now, in the meantime, I'm really kind of, I'm, I'm bummed, right? Because I'm watching all this rain come down and it's, and it's melting all the snow. And you guys all know that I love the snow. And I'm like, I, I hope this doesn't, you know, really dampen my weekend. But thankfully, the next day, you know, I saw the forecast. Forecast was for about 10 inches or so of snow. And actually, we got a little more than that. And the good news was it did that that day and the next day and the day before I left. So I was up there for like a four-day weekend. And truly got somewhere around three feet of snow in total while we were there. But it was incredible. So the the cover art for today's episode and probably the next few, all this leverage a few pictures I took, it, it was amazing. So if you've never been to Quebec or to that part of, of Canada, you know, it is, it's the French speaking area of Canada. And I, you know, always feel weird when I'm going there because I know I'm going to just butcher everything that I'm reading or try to pronounce. 
but everybody in the touristy areas that you know if they hear you speak english or you respond to them in english they're all pretty good with just responding back to you in english because they're most of them are bilingual but it was just did snowshoeing went to this park this just beautiful Jacques Cartier Park near Quebec. See, I even go into my French accent, which is really horrible. So, it just it was just amazing. So, went out and and were, was doing the snowshoeing in places that you you can just I don't know you can find yourself going back in time because it's just so pristine. And one of the things, as I mentioned, I like about snow before is it it makes it it feels like all the man made things even right even the roads and other stuff get covered up so you don't see them, and it's just. It's incredible. So was able to do some snowshoeing, and then and then the next day was able to walk around this. It's the only city north of Mexico. It's like a it's an ancient walled city, Quebec is, and they still have preserved a lot of the old structure. But it's this amazing city that sits at the mouth of the St. Lawrence Seaway, and it's snowing, and it's just you know they've got these great old buildings, and the snow's coming down, and you're doing these videos, and I'm out walking around in it, and. Woof, just sure enough, as I right after I had filmed something, just feet slid out from under me, busted my butt. I was fine, but of course I laid down in the snow and was kind of laughing. And everybody's coming around, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yes, I'm fine. It's all good." So it, it was just great. So the, the snow cleaning equipment. So I, as I mentioned before, I lived in upstate New York, and, and Quebec's about comparable in terms of snow. So they get somewhere between 120, 150 inches a year of snow right? A good healthy amount. And so I expected it to be that way. But I'm, I'm walking down the sidewalk in Quebec, and it's a fairly wide sidewalk. And literally the snow cleaning equipment for cleaning the sidewalk, they had this huge like caterpillar tractor thing cleaning the snow, was bigger than the one in the road right next to it because they were kind of side by side. But even on like the the kind of the smaller sidewalks walking through, you know, the, it, it, it is kind of a touristy area. A lot of people kind of coming and going even during the winter. And they've got these little bobcat machines, you know, all glassed in, of course, because it's wintertime. But these guys, you know, they're the kind that can spin on a dime, right, and, and do a 180 reversal thing. They're just running down the sidewalks, beeping everybody out of the way because they got their job to do, right, which is to clear out all the snow. But it was just amazing. So I had time to just enjoy the snow, be out in the snow. The snow was falling and all that stuff. And again, it, it just puts me in a great frame of mind. So I got to enjoy it all the way around. And it, it was just, it was incredible. And because they're used to dealing with the snow, even though you're going out, so they have a falls there. And I, I don't remember the name of the falls or, I, you know, I'm going to butcher it or whatever. In the meantime, it actually wasn't a very French name, but um, the, the falls you go to, it's actually higher than Niagara Falls, you know, so people, you know, get things in their mind and, you, you know, you, you think, oh, Niagara Falls, it's the big, uh, it's the big waterfalls to go to. Well, this thing, it's called, um, Montmorency, I think is, you know, I, again, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but you get there and, you know, people are, are clean, climbing up on the ice walls. I mean, that's, it's things they do. And that's one of the things I loved about this area is they didn't shut everything down because it snowed. They opened everything up in a different way. And so when you went to the park, so I drove, it probably wasn't even 25 miles out of the city and they don't close the park. They just 
plow the roads and they rent snowshoes and 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 cross country skis and all this stuff. So they're really equipped for dealing with it. It's just it, it was a lot of fun in that regard, and it reminded me of all the things I like about the snow. Yes, it got cold, and yes, if you don't dress for it, you know you can end up in the wrong situation. There was one moment when I went down to clean the car and I realized I left my my gloves upstairs, and I just pulled the sleeve on my coat and just wiped it all off. But when you live in areas with snow, you carry all the things in your car that I didn't have, which is you don't really need like an ice scraper or anything like that. You just, you need almost, it's like a big brush or broom type thing to just wipe all the snow off, right? So didn't have all that with me, but yeah, I may do. And as with all things, that it doesn't really bother me, but it was great all the way around. Now I just got a car covered in road salt though, that I need to get washed before the road salt does any damage. Any case, Anyhow, it was awesome, and it was one of those things refreshing for me, and I even had a little bit of sleet and ice around here in the past couple of days, so I've had the full gamut from rain to snow and all this stuff, got to experience all sorts of things, and it, you know, it, it does. It rejuvenates me, so even though I had to come back to work and do work things and all sorts of analysis, even though it's weather-related, yeah, that stuff wears on you after a period of time, so I always enjoy when I can get out and enjoy the type of weather that really, I don't know, it just amps me up. So it's good to be able to do that. But let's talk about Tekken and weather. Because as you guys know, I like to do that topic. And I was struck by an article this week. As I mentioned before, I get lots of them, right? I get a couple different news feeds that send me articles you might be interested in. And one caught my attention that was written, I think it was um, a Forbes article. That was written by somebody, and, and Forbes has this. They have a couple people, um, Marshall Shepard, who does some work with the Weather Channel, so some people might know him, but was past president of the AMS. And he's he's got a regular column, or did in the past. I don't know if he's still doing it. I don't I don't go into these articles all the time. But they, they have some other people that kind of do weather reporting for them. And, and somebody wrote something about artificial intelligence in weather, makes the case for human input, right? And it gets back to this thing. And I talked about it, not this year, but the year last year when I was doing, you know, that virtual AMS conference. And I kind of brought up that there's still a long ways to go. And there's maybe things that machine learning and AI just don't get right for a variety of reasons. But part of that is that one is we're still learning the science and you can't, even with where technology is today, you can't solve for all these equations on the minute scale and ever hope to get a forecast out. We just don't have the turnaround time on technology. That'll change someday, but we're not there today. But part of it also is that whether you're coding in the science, which we don't fully understand, or you're coding in different ways to think about it, machine learning, yes, it's a learning process, but it's still based on human inputs, right? And artificial intelligence is the same thing. We're, We're still, there's still a human element in it because the humans are what gives it the base code, even if there's some sort of computer element where it can self-learn, right? So no matter what, there's a human element. I don't, I don't care how you slice it. And some things, no matter how good we try to teach it, we can't teach it well enough, right? It's just not there yet. And this was the same thing with the, the autonomous cars. There's still some barriers and some challenges that we got to overcome. But I was reading this article because it got back to something I've mentioned before, which is never really trust just the model. It's good to have human local experience and input. And this article kind of went down that path, right? But his take was on it, and it was because of what he does. It's more about the communication, right, of what's the real risk exposure and how you want to deal with it 
less so than it was the weather forecast. But he pointed out a recent article in Wired, and, and Wired because I'm kind of a tech guy. I, I read it from time to time. It's not you know necessarily the mainstay. So I went and read the Wired article, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that article. I'll put them both in there so you can read it. So you can kind of see this was like a rabbit hole experiment. So I'm going in, and I'm looking at it, and this person you know, is going down and makes a statement about, or, you know, that recent research showed how humans outperformed the models. It's like, okay, well, let me go read it. And it, and actually there were two articles quoted in the Wired article. And I went and pulled them both up. And now this Wired article was new. It was January. So the, the first thing, the Forbes had a recent article in Wired. So I went and looked at it. It was fairly recent, right? It was a month earlier month and a half earlier, but that, that, that's relatively recent. But the Wired article referred to two peer-reviewed articles. One was written now four years ago, so 2018. Now, I, I didn't look at the exact published date. Actually, I've got it open here. Let me, let me pull this up so that I can give you a recent thing. So it was basically almost four years ago, April 2018 is when it was published. And another one, all right, that was published well before that. That was published in like 2014, I think is what the date was on it. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, you're writing an article in 2022 about how you still need the human element with forecast. And you're referencing articles that were, in technology terms, ancient. There's nothing new about that. Nothing new from an article in 2018 or 2014. Not to say that the research wasn't valid. So I went, again, I went and opened both those articles. And the first one, the more recent one, didn't have anything to do necessarily with a human forecaster. It had to do with developing a statistical-based system versus a modeling-based system, but both of them actually still use statistics. So I, I was a little thrown off by that. And the other one was like I said, published in 2014, and you need to think about this, peer-reviewed process, right? It's not instantaneous, but let's say even kind of in a best case, you give an article in, and by the time it gets published, it's maybe a year later. It's not exactly that. It's gotten shorter over time. Sometimes it's longer, depending on if you need to do meaningful edits or you know, it doesn't get approved the first time around and you go back again. But in any case, anytime you're doing that, so let's say one was the work was finished in 2017 and the other one the work was finished in 2013, the data sets that would be required to fill that work would have been now, let's say, back finished something like 2011 at best case. And it was actually they used even earlier than that. And the other one would have been, you know, a, a year or two prior. So now we're talking with a processes that had been used even before that. So just think about it. Think, think about where we were somewhere between five and 10 years ago in terms of technology, all right? Smartphones were still kind of a new thing. But just think about it in that regard. We were still talking about Facebook, not metaverse, right? All these sort of things. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not really relevant at all. And when you really read the articles, it's, it's you know, one of them talked about how human forecasters do better dealing with severe weather in real time. Well, no one's disputing that, right? And I, I don't know. I, I read these articles, particularly when they're written by people that aren't in the field, right? So this person, you know, 
probably doesn't spend his life doing everyday meteorology type of things. But the whole idea was that humans outperform algorithms, especially in bad conditions. That's what the subline says. It says, the danger of leaving weather prediction to AI. When it comes to forecasting the elements, many seem ready to welcome the machine, but humans still outperform the algorithms. Now, some of this was written, and one of the articles was even written, with the concept in mind that, or at least it seemed that way, the, the, the one that was written in 2014, was really kind of promoting the benefit of human forecasters and the existence of human forecasters compared, particularly in the public sector, compared to just trusting the model. And and you guys have heard me. I, I'm a firm believer in that. I, I do believe that there's a human element. And getting back to the first article, in the communication, even if the models have continued to get better and better, the whole point of the human forecaster right, is to be able to recognize, particularly in real time, what's going on that's not like, you know, that you can have a forecast for tornadoes, but where it actually forms and what's going on in real time, yes, I still think that's better handled by a human person. And, you know, the whole point of, for instance, public weather service in, in the U.S. versus private companies is you tend to have more humans that are looking at those things, and, and their mindset is about public safety. So you'll never hear me argue against that, but don't sit there and try to tell me that, the AIs perform better because the human forecasters, even to be looking at something, this is the whole thing that people kind of miss sometimes, is without the machine element, the human element would fail too because we wouldn't know to be looking out for tornadoes. If you didn't have this thing, if you didn't have the radar, if we had to count on someone seeing a tornado in the sky to warn us today, even though we still do that and we count on that, we would miss tons of stuff and tons of people would be in danger. One of the best tools that people have is radar, and that is technology. And it's because it can see the skies and see things that people can't, particularly at night, right? It's not easy to go out and spot a tornado at night, but that radar can pick it up. And that human forecaster can work with the radar. And yes, maybe someday, the, the, but that's the whole goal, is you would prefer AI to start seeing these things, so that we could save even more lives. And no, they're not there today. But suggesting that it's not wise to be making that continued progress. I just, I don't like when we kind of say it's one or the other, right? Or that, you know, one of them is failing us somehow. And again, I get back to the same thing. For a computer to recognize, as an example, what humans see in a radar as a tornado need to keep in mind that it took a long time of humans going through what we see on radars that looks like a tornado to recognize that that's a signature tornado that didn't happen overnight either so when you think about it in that regard at some point if we do it properly we'll be able to teach the machine and the machine should be able to learn in time how to find that thing. Does it mean it's going to solve it? It's going to replace every human that does it? No. No. That's not the goal. All right? But the goal is hopefully that maybe if they learn to do it a more minute in advance or can be scanning more options so that humans can focus on the worst case scenario or, or again, focus on that communication with other humans 
Maybe that is the right course. I'm not saying that there's one set solution. But it's talking about the danger of leaving weather prediction. And that, that's not the challenge. That's not where we're at. It's recognizing what AI can and can't do or what machine learning can and can't do today, right? But no one's out there just saying, okay, here it is magically. Here's an AI system that's going to find all your... No one's doing that. No one's suggesting that. It takes time. It takes iteration. And we'll get there. But it hit me another one of the... Again, it was just an order. I, I don't know. Do me a favor, all right? If you listen to this podcast... Go to the show notes. I'm going to read. I'm going to tell you what it was. It was wired. The, the article was January 4th of this year, and the title of it is The Danger of Leaving Weather Prediction to AI. Maybe my take's all wrong. Maybe I'm getting worked up over nothing. And I am sensitive to this because I care about both things, right? I actually care about the human weather forecast because I do think it's relevant. But I also understand how amazing technology is in, our under, in, in everything it's done to make my understanding of weather even possible, right? All the stuff I've done, all the analysis that I do, I couldn't do any of it without technology. The project I'm working on right now, right? If I couldn't sit down on my computer and code certain things to do it, I, I couldn't do, I mean, theoretically I could do the math, but I'd be making no advances. I don't think anybody's suggesting that magically the machines are going to take over. And so I, I don't know. It's just it was a frust it was frustrating to me in that regard. And I and I, again I'm not trying to single out an individual for for what they wrote. And again we live in a day and age where you're trying to get they got me right. They got me to go look at the article, and here I am talking about it. It was just frustrating to me because when I see a, an article today, all right, that that talks about leaving the danger of leaving weather prediction AI and it's quoting things articles that I know are, are based on research or, or data that is anywhere from five to 10 years old. It's just frustrating. I, I don't know. So here you are and there I am. But what I did have is I had snow and I'm thankful for it. So see, it puts me in a good mood anyways. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts and your feedback. What is it about the weather gmail.com? And Aaron, thanks for, for mentioning on the Patreon page that you enjoyed hearing me talk about the weather. I like. I hope you got another batch of it today. Mark underscore Gelotic on Twitter. What is it about the weather on Twitter? And yes, hopefully as soon as spring comes around, I'm going to be starting to kick off all these other projects that I mentioned at the end of last year. The time has not allowed me for it with this, this current project I'm working on work-wise. I've just had a lot of extra time sunk into that. It's eaten some of my, what I would call, uh, mind capacity to work on new projects but let me know your thoughts as always i like to hear from you it can, you don't have to talk to me about the article if you don't want but you know i i would welcome your feedback on that as well but yeah, just tell me how your how your weather world's going but but until then until i hear from you or until we talk again just remember that some ai and some machine learning and some technology makes it all so that we can stay safe, not just with the weather, but in many aspects of our life. It's all about balance. It's finding the right balance. And let us never forget, though, that there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>